Chapter Twenty Six of Household Puzzles by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six: Laces and Duty. Tom Randolph sat in the dining room with his chair tipped back, his hat drawn over his eyes, and his feet on the rounds of another chair. Contrary to Mrs. Munroe's code of morals. Tom's new start in life had not yet made him a careful observer of all the rules of propriety. The less religion does for a person's own life and habits, the more certain is that person to expect it to work a sudden and complete transformation in the habits of one who has very recently professed to be governed by its precepts. Tom was deep in thought, which, to judge by the expression on his face, was not very pleasant. Mrs. Monroe was plating a crepe ruffle, and Maria was setting the table for the next morning's breakfast. The household had narrowed down, the summer and early autumn had gone from them, so also had Faith. Contrary to the opinions of some good people, she held it to be her privilege to make life as endurable as she could, and to stay among the rooms that had echoed to the constant patter of Pearlie's little feet, made the weight of pain seem heavier so she went away. Maria, as she set the table, sighed a little as she left vacant the end where Faith and Pearlie used to sit. Maria missed them sadly. Tom looked up at last, pushed his hat back a little, and smiled faintly. Very few smiles had Tom Randolph to bestow. One may rally from a heavy sorrow which God has sent, and smile brightly even between the tears, but a weight of self-remorse over a sin that has brought lifelong sorrow to someone, a sorrow that but for you might not be, such pain to a young man like Tom Randolph cuts deeply and leaves little heart for smiling. "'I'm a gentleman of leisure,' he said to Maria, and she gave a little start of dismay at the news. "'You must forgive Maria. She did not want her brother to sell liquor for a living.' but she kept the family purse, and Tom paid his board. "'Couldn't you wait a little?' she said deprecatingly. "'I didn't see how I could, Maria. I couldn't sell any more liquor.' "'I'm sure I don't see why,' Helen said sharply. "'You have sold it for some months, and I should think a few days longer would make very little difference. It would be an improvement on coming home to father to be supported.' Now this was precisely what Helen herself had done, one wouldn't have supposed that she would have condemned it in another. Tom controlled the impulse to tell her so, and answered simply, I felt that I could not sell another drop of liquor. Well, Maria said, with a long-drawn sigh, I suppose you are right, and I shall be glad enough that you are out of it when you get in somewhere else, but the week's accounts won't match very well now. I know he said with a gloomy face. The burden rests heavily. I'm afraid it will be some time before I can find employment. I've met with nothing but failures today. Of course, Helen said, with a volume of significance in her tones. You can't expect people to trust you. Tom's boots came down from the chair so suddenly that Helen said, with a nervous start, Dear me, how rough you are! But he said not a word. The outside door creaked slowly, and Mr. Randolph came in with weary step. Helen gave him the easy chair in which she had been sitting, and Maria brought his slippers. 
how tired you look she said anxiously and you are late to-night too i think it is too bad that you have to do overwork not often he said feebly and then he coughed sharply father said tom with the air of one who had something to communicate that was depressing and the sooner it could be told and put away the better i wish you needed an errand boy or porter or something of that sort at your store i've thrown up my work and am an object of charity mr randolph put his tired hands on the armchair and drew himself up and came with eager steps toward his son thank god he said with trembling earnestness i thank him that this trouble is ended i have felt it bitterly i am a temperance man you know my son tom randolph arose and stood beside his father he towered above him he rested one hand on his arm and his voice trembled more than his father's had father i am a temperance man too i have signed a total abstinence pledge to-day i hope to atone in a measure for the pain i have given you i'm sure i am very glad helen said when both father and son had left the room as glad as any one can be only one can't help wishing that his repentance had come a little earlier maria slammed the closet door if you ever get to heaven she said irritably you will say i can't help wishing i had come yesterday or waited until to-morrow things as they are are never quite right in your estimation helen opened her eyes in wonder dear me she said plaintively what have i said now i seem to be always saying something that's true maria murmured and she banged the other closet door a little before she left the room tom came in search of her while she was in the pantry setting the cakes for breakfast father was pleased with my leaving the saloon he said speaking a little wistfully she turned toward him a bright face of course he was she said heartily so am i only the world the flesh and the other one got the better of me for a little it is gloomy work for you i know he said sadly it seems almost hopeless for me to try to get employment at the best there is very little doing and my former experience and reputation are not flattering if i were only a girl i would have a chance to try at least a girl why i thought it was more difficult for a girl to get work than a boy i suppose it is generally speaking but i know of a chance for a girl arthur and mcallister advertise for a clerk i answered the advertisement this morning but they informed me that they employed none but females at the lace counter this conversation sent maria to bed with wide-open eyes that continued open far into the midnight the result of which midnight musing was a conversation with grace over the next morning's breakfast dishes the conversation opened with her favorite expression there's no use in talking grace something has got to be done i know it grace said meekly there had been so much talking that she knew quite well what maria meant without explanation that young lady however proceeded to explain here's helen on our hands to support and tom without anything to do and father looking paler and coughing harder every night it's time there was a chance can you think of anything yes a hundred things it is easier to think than to do 
However, I'm going to try doing. Tom says there is a vacancy at Arthur and McAllister's, and I'm going this very morning to try for it. If I succeed, you'll have to keep house. You'll hate it, I know, but so do I hate lace. That's where the vacancy is, at the lace counter. If you can conceive of anything more stupid than puttering over boxes of lace from morning till night, I don't know what it can be. I'd rather bake griddle cakes or wash dishes, and I've no particular love for that employment either. However, tastes and feelings and things of that sort have all been ground up long ago in this house and eaten for daily bread. I don't see how the house is ever going to get along without you, Grace said, dismay in her voice, in her eyes, all about her. It is to get along with you the best way it can. I'm sure you can get us all something to eat if you try. Anyway, I can't much longer without some money to get it with, and I know no other way but to go and earn some. There was one other way. Grace timidly suggested it. If Helen would only apply for the vacant place. Helen? echoed Maria, in undisguised disdain. I think I see her doing it. Why, bless your heart, child, don't you know it isn't genteel to sell lace? It is perfectly proper to live on a sick father. In fact, it is quite genteel to starve, if you do it gracefully. But the idea of one who has been connected with the Monroe family, stooping to lace-selling, isn't to be thought of for a moment. I may as well say, just here, that no sooner were the dishes dried and marshaled into place, than Maria put her plans into execution, and the firm of Arthur and McAllister being really in need, and being well acquainted with her father, she met with prompt success. Then commenced a series of martyrdom such as the Randolph family had hitherto not known. Such breakfasts as were shrinkingly brought before the miserable victims, such dinners as they endured, Grace worked from dawn till dark and did her very best, but she really had no more affinity for cooking than a canary bird, and whatever other branches of business may be carried on successfully without a fair knowledge of and general interest in the details, housekeeping cannot. So the steak was burned or smoked, and the bread was sticky and sour, the pies were exasperating, and poor Grace came regularly to the table with cheeks aglow and three fingers done up in rags, burned or cut as the case might be. Maria's disgust sent her daily to the lace counter with a frowning face. She was sharp to the customers, and positively crabbed to sister clerks to such a degree that she more than once received a hint from headquarters that she must be more civil or lose her place. Despite all these grievances, the week's salary from the lace counter helped considerably in the family puzzle. So each girl stood her ground with the resolution that helps to make martyrs, though Grace retreated nightly under the bedclothes with red eyelids. One evening Maria plodded home from the store, through mud and rain, without either rubbers or umbrella, waterproof she had not, and the consequence was sneezes and involuntary weeping out of one eye the next day. "'There is no use in trying to thumb over lace today,' she said to Grace, who was looking gravely at the greasy spider. "'You will just have to go in my place.' "'What, to the store?' Grace said, dropping the spider in her surprise. "'Yes, of course. 
I believe you have cracked that. What is the use of being so careless? My head spins round like a top, and feels as large as the flour-barrel, and as empty. Tell Mr. McAllister, with my compliments, that he won't have the pleasure of growling at me to-day. But what will you do about the work? Why, I'll do it. Because I can't walk a mile in the rain, it doesn't follow that I can't do a little work in the kitchen. And I'll have a decent dinner once more, I venture to say. This last in an undertone. Then louder, will you try the store? Why, of course I'll try. But, Maria, I'm not sure that I shall succeed any better than I do at cooking. Maria tied a handkerchief around her aching head and mopped the kitchen floor. Grace rarely had time for mopping. Then she made some applesauce for dinner that stayed in delightful quarters, a thing which Grace's applesauce was never known to do. The dinner, though it was only baked potatoes and cold meat, was a success. For, be it known, there is a way to make utterly uneatable even baked potatoes and cold meat, and poor Grace knew that way. Then when at tea-time Maria had sufficiently subdued eyes and nose, so that she gave herself up to the pleasure of making a delicious creamy johnny-cake, the comfort of the Randolph family reached a height unknown for weeks. As for Grace, the day passed quietly. The lace was neither greasy nor sticky, two things which she abhorred. The rain prevented much sale, but in the arrangement of the boxes she proved useful, saying, after but a lesson or two, I can tell the real from the imitation now, I think. How do you tell? Mr. McAllister asked her, looking her through with keen eyes. I don't know, she said with flushing face. I haven't learned how to tell scientifically, only this feels real, and this one doesn't. Never mind the science, he said, smiling a little, and then he left her to herself. Three days Maria's cold held sway. The mopping and the johnny cake proved to be not good for it. After that she went back to the store, and Grace, with a little softly sigh, put on her greasy apron, her work apron was always greasy, and took the dishcloth between her thumb and finger. Mr. Arthur, the senior partner, summoned Maria to the office. "'Is your sister Grace, who has served us in your absence, a young lady of leisure?' "'Not particularly,' said Maria, smiling in spite of his dignity, at the thought of poor Grace with her head in the oven, probably at that moment. "'She is housekeeper for a family of five. "'Oh, at your own home?' "'Yes, sir.' Mr. Arthur leaned his chin on his lead pencil and mused. "'Well, the fact is,' he said at last, "'if you and Miss Grace could change places, it would perhaps be agreeable to all parties. She gave very general satisfaction in the store. The customers liked her, and the clerks like her very much. She is low-voiced and gentle in her movements, and she tells real and imitation laces by instinct, or in some other mysterious way.' at least she rarely fails. In short, Miss Randolph, she has an aptitude for the business, which, I may as well say, and you will excuse my frankness, I am always frank, you have not. Now, Miss Randolph, we are prepared to engage your sister permanently, and give her the full salary, which is a dollar a week more than you have been receiving, if that will suit you. Engage her in my place, you mean? In your place." 
Personally, Mr. Arthur, I am delighted with the proposition, and I think Grace will approve. I quite agree with you that I have no aptitude for the business. I hate lace. I always hated things that could be copied so precisely that you had to feel of them to tell the real from the false. Nevertheless, after making this emphatic address, Maria went home in a good deal of amaze. Once or twice she laughed outright. It was very funny, certainly. Grace able to earn her own living, and she, Maria, who had been useful and practical ever since she was born, not. "'There are different ways of doing things, I suppose,' she said aloud and quite humbly for her. And this little episode did Maria Randolph good. Also it did Grace good. There was a recognized place for her in the world then, even if it was only behind a lace counter. She felt more self-reliant." The wild chaotic kind of living that had been in vogue in the Randolph family subsided, the dishes retired to their respective shelves, and comfort reigned once more, and people liked to buy laces at Arthur and McAllister's. End of chapter 26